Welcome to Mind and Soul Matters. Before releasing our trailer next month for Season 3, we have another special episode for you with Luke McFarlane, which was recorded from a live forum as part of a series of live talks organised in collaboration between Mind and Soul Matters, Baha'i Blog and Melville Baha'i Community, to discuss issues around mental health in our society. In this special episode, Luke McFarlane candidly shares his personal reflections on youth mental health and reconciling his values with social norms. The introduction is by Dr. Dina Shurian, MC of the Forum, and concludes with audience questions and answers. An honest reflection from a football star, a great listen for all. Our next presenter is Mr. Luke McFarlane. Many of us know Luke McFarlane, but for those of you who don't, he is a senior clinical pharmacist currently working at Fiona Stanley Hospital. He has a background in elite sport, having played 256 games of AFL football over 16 years for Hawthorne and Fremantle Dockers Football Club. And post-retirement, he continues to work in radio for AFL games held at Optus Stadium. Luke is also a member of the Baha'i Faith and has run many programs over the years to assist children and youth to develop their moral and spiritual capacities. He's happily married to his wife, Collins, and lives in Fremantle with their two beautiful daughters. I think Luke is very well placed to speak about higher values and social norms today. So I'd like to welcome Luke McFarland to the podium. Thanks very much and good morning. And thanks again for the invitation to appear on this panel. I thought I'd start by just confessing I'm certainly no expert in the area of mental health, but I also want to acknowledge that there are challenges that people face in this world that far exceed anything I've had to endure. So please accept my thoughts and comments in this presentation as just personal reflections of an experience where I tried to show integrity to my beliefs in an environment that challenged them. So my topic of higher values and social norms. I thought we could start by first considering what society is teaching us about wellness and the pursuit of happiness. So it seems to me, at least in Western countries, the narrative is that happiness can be found in indulgent pleasure. So if it feels good, do it. If it looks good, buy it. If it tastes good, eat it. And it can also be found in the establishment and protection of rights. So what are my rights? And what is society doing to represent my interests and the interests of people like me? So humans are ostensibly very groupish. We seem to move with relative ease, unlike our primate cousins who exist in a single tribe, from, from one group to the next, even multiple within a single day. Work group, family, ethnic group, sports team, political party, book club, gym club, run club, wine club. We've always had a very powerful need to belong. What chimpanzees lack or have only in rudimentary form and what humans have in comparative abundance are cooperative and social skills, or what American psychologist Michael Tomasello refers to as a shared intentionality. Over thousands of years, humans working together in a common goal has led to an astonishing degree of advancement in culture and in institutions 
science and technology. Our groupish behaviour appears to be a natural part of being human, but our groups often come with rules. So as a white male growing up in Australia in the 90s, you're expected to play sport, drink, gamble and chase girls and generally participate in a variety of risky behaviours that established your masculinity amongst your peers. These were the social norms of my adolescence and into my 20s. And in the cut and thrust of an AFL environment, those norms were heightened. Being part of the team, as I discovered in that world, meant you first had to go along before you could get along. And as a young player, who had yet to achieve anything in elite sport, I was expected to fall into line. So conflicting with these attitudes and behaviours were values instilled in me from a young age by my beliefs in the Baha'i faith. Beliefs that spoke to the development of a high moral character and of seeking to contribute in some way to the betterment of society. So in a time when I was young and impressionable, I was forced to figure out pretty quickly where my priorities lay. What made it more challenging was that my new teammates were famous, influential, and held a high status in society. These were people I'd watched on TV and admired for their incredible skill and courage. So my subsequent decision then, not to engage in certain activities that were at odds with my personal standards was akin to social suicide. In refusing to go along with the group, I had declared myself an outsider. That first year, I was 17, I was living in Melbourne, away from family and friends. I remember several senior players, coaches and even administrators telling me in no uncertain terms that I wasn't exactly endearing myself to my new teammates. And perhaps football clubs weren't for me. My desire to play sport at the top level was being derailed by my inability to find a place within the team. It's not like I didn't want to belong. Belonging, as we know, is a powerful human need. But the mistake I'd made in this early phase was thinking that these two worlds couldn't possibly coexist and that I therefore must separate myself. So I would go to training and I would play games, but that was it. I wouldn't interact with my teammates in any other settings. It was clearly not the right course of action. I had isolated myself entirely from the team. And so, with a desire to make it work, I began my second season intent on paying more attention to the things that could draw me closer to the group and not the things that separated me. The difficulty was going to be navigating the environment while maintaining an integrity to personal standards. A Baha'i perspective is that life has a spiritual dimension and that we should pay daily attention to the development and practice of high moral qualities. In 1992, the Baha'i international community touched on this theme in a statement to the United Nations on sustainable development. And I quote, although there are mystical aspects that are not easily explained, the spiritual dimension of human nature can be understood in practical terms as the source of qualities that transcend self-interest. Such qualities include love, compassion, forbearance, trustworthiness, courage, humility, cooperation and a willingness to sacrifice for the common good. It turns out that the exercise of these qualities was quite useful in a team setting. 
In fact, it seems to me that this pattern of behaviour, if practised correctly, would universally endear you to any group you found yourself in. So I began to train hard, prepare well, be a reliable teammate and perform on the field. But beyond that, I began to attend more of those social spaces. Not to partake in some of the activities, mind you, but just to be present without judgment, without any thought of trying to impose my worldview on others, but just to be there. And I began to garner the respect of the group. It took some time, but I managed to carve out a space for myself and become an integral part of teams going forward. So much so that my peers elevated me to leadership positions every year from the age of 22 until I retired. And I even captained the team on several occasions. On reflection, it wasn't like I had tried to fit in, but instead found a way to belong. We all understand that struggle is a part of life, whether hardship comes in the form of tragedy or malevolence, or whether it is self-imposed isolation by not conforming to social norms. We cannot escape this fundamental aspect of the human experience. So what assists us with finding the strength to endure when times get tough? Well, perhaps trying to make yourself happy in the way that society is teaching us shouldn't be the priority. Maybe the key is to find for yourself a higher goal, a purpose that will sustain you when you inevitably experience pain, loss, disappointment, or exclusion. I've sometimes heard religion described as, if nothing else, a great mental health strategy. Because in its truest form, it's a call to a higher purpose. In stark contrast to societal messages about indulgent pleasure and rights, attention is given instead to personal growth through sacrifice, showing restraint, and the shouldering of responsibility to improve the lives of those around us. As that statement to the United Nations reads on, the profound and far-reaching changes, the unity and unprecedented cooperation required to reorient the world toward an environmentally sustainable and just future will only be possible by touching the human spirit, by appealing to the universal values which alone can empower individuals and peoples to act in accordance with the long-term interests of the planet and humanity as a whole. Once tapped, this powerful and dynamic source of individual and collective motivation will release such a profound and salutary spirit among the peoples of the earth that no power will be able to resist its unifying force. How is that for shared intentionality? So what am I saying in regards to the challenge of mental health in this day? Find yourself a higher purpose. And through the exercise of those universal values that transcend self-interest, values like forbearance, trustworthiness, courage, humility, cooperation, and willingness to sacrifice for the common good. Find that you can belong in whatever group comes your way. Perhaps this is an antidote to the suffering we must all endure on life's journey. Thank you. Are there mentoring programs? I, I think over East there used to be sort of a big brother programs and things to help younger children just to get a view of what it means to be male so that previously my sons didn't have a lot of male influence so it's for families so they can actually see different men 
know what it can mean to be male, but not just by one stereotypical view of this is what it means to be a man. Thank you. And again, given I'm no expert in this area, but yeah, the importance of, of role modelling and, and discovering, well, redefining what it means to be a male. And, and in my experience in sport, and clearly football being the, the big sport that is in Australia, and a lot of young men learn the ways of life within the confines of a football club. And uh, in, in my time, which traversed 16 years, I, I saw a real uh, change that occurred. So um, when I first began, uh, some of those traits of toxic masculinity were pretty strong. And as time evolved and, and, and society changed, really, to become more inclusive uh, of difference and celebrating all the different elements of, uh, of our human population, that we, we did start to have very deliberate conversations about what it, what it looked like to be, to be male and what courage looked like. And, uh, and those conversations are playing out in quite a big way in the AFL now. And I was fortunate enough to sit on the board of the AFL Players Association for a few years and, and we were looking at topics like mental health and things like that, but also, yeah, how, how men can be better, better men in society. And, and given that uh, footballers are, at the, I guess, the forefront of male role models, uh, how we need to behave and, and model some of the behaviour that we, that is without doubt going to be copied by younger boys coming through. And so it is a, a lot about respect for women. Uh, it's a lot about being ac accepting of difference and redefining courage. You know, it's not getting into a fight behind the play and, and, and punching someone. It's, yeah, it's putting your head over the ball. It's running through the line. It's going back with the flight. It's, it's working hard within the team. And it's dis displaying all those, I guess, higher moral qualities that, that are so important in the development of anyone, but, but certainly in the transformation that we're seeing with this new definition of what it means to be a man these days. Uh, some of my other work has been involved with mentoring young people through uh, Baha'i programs, such as the Junior Youth Program, which look at developing, I guess, moral and spiritual capacities, which I touched on a little bit in, in the, my presentation. But again, it's those fundamental universal values which you come back to, which regardless of your gender or, or group that you identify with can be expressed in, in all different facets of life. And so my experience through running junior youth programs has been giving young people, men or women, uh, boys or girls, an opportunity to explore their identity and what it means to be a human and giving young people the tools to sort of navigate their way through life and, and, and have integrity to their principles. And so that was certainly, I'm a product of the junior youth program. I went through it myself and that certainly assisted uh, me in my uh, experiences through life. But, but to see the, the value that you can give to other young people that are coming through using a program like that, and there's, there's many around, which really sort of draw back to those fundamental principles of what it means to be a human and, and how we can uh, be better people in society.